You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I'm sitting down with Matt Zeman. He is the co-founder of Happy, which is spelled H-A-P-P-Y-Y, a mental wellness company that specializes in psychedelic-assisted ketamine therapy, along with digital therapeutics that promote life-transforming outcomes. As an entrepreneur in the well-being sector, Matt was the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Psychable, an online community connecting people who would like to explore the healing power of psychedelics with a network of practitioners and psychedelic based treatments and the co-founder of take two minutes, a nonprofit dedicated to helping individuals improve their mental health and well-being. Prior to focusing on well-being, Matt had two other successful exits. He is the author of psychedelics for everyone, a beginner's guide to those to these powerful medicines for anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, and expanding consciousness. And he received his master of science and psychology and neuroscience of mental health with honors from King's college, London. So thank you for being on the show. Aaron, thank you for that introduction. I appreciate it. I'm excited to just open the door into the world of psychedelics. So before we get into all the nitty gritty details, what are we even talking about here? Like why, what is microdosing? How are people microdosing? Why are they microdosing? Why is this even a thing? I thought this was a hippie thing. Somebody might be wondering, <laughs> right? I thought this went away with the 1960s. What's going on? You asked a ton of questions there. So I'm happy to dive in, into <laughs> okay. those. That's it's a, it is an exciting time. There are a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings about psychedelics because we've all, any of us born from 1971 until today, we've grown up our entire lives in a prohibition right. told us. So all we've heard was negative propaganda. All drugs are bad. They're going to fry your brain. You're going to get addicted. Bad things are going to happen. And the science just doesn't, doesn't support those, those messages we've been, we've been told or taught. But um, it takes a while for our brains to accept that, oh, that's not true. This other thing is. And uh, and we're in the middle of a psychedelic renaissance right now. I think a lot of it actually, I mean, you, you've, you've talked pretty openly about your, your bipolar experience. I think a lot of this interest comes from the mental health space where people are saying, I am not willing to be on medication or mm -hmm. this type of everyday medication or the side effects mm -hmm. of the medication are just not worth it. It's, it's, and uh and they're looking for other options, and psychedelics has uh, has opened up the door as a potential uh, alternative for people who don't want to be on a daily medication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think for people, and and I even think for my perspective, I'm so scared of any kind of substance because of my past history of medications and all the side effects that even saying psychedelics freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> so how do uh, we get past that? That's totally fair. And so when even, even the title of my book, I mean, I wrote psychedelics for everyone. I get people who say all the time, like, oh, you don't mean literally everyone should take a psychedelic. No, I, of course I don't mean that. But I think for the good of society, that there, there's a lot of good that psychedelics can do. And whether that's for you as an individual, that's a very personal decision. But I hope when people read this book, they can say, oh, okay, I understand how this might be helpful for me, or I understand how this could be helpful for someone I loved, or yeah, I don't really know anybody, but I get it. I get why people would vote for psychedelics to be legalized for these different treatments and all of the above is okay. Um, you have picked a path and you've been able to maintain a path that's, you, you talk about yourself as an anomaly. You talk about um, 
but all the healthy habits you've developed and you've been able to maintain for some people, um, figuring out how getting that inspiration to do those healthy habits is challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, and for many people, a, a experience with a psychedelic medicine helps them understand they're not broken. There's nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. They have, uh, they, they can see the, the innate wisdom, the innate beauty, and they can also see that they want to live a different way and then can start doing those habits. Um, mm. but for, yeah, that's, that's for many people where, where psychedelics plays an important starting role. What yeah. got you to develop? How did you just become, um, how did you figure out you had to have these habits to have a, a healthy life? That's a really good question. Cause for me, it was a small catalyst, you know, what, and it was taking probiotics was a big okay. thing for me, establishing like some support to my gut health. <laughs> mm -hmm. I had no clue that that would make an impact on my mental health. And so to your point, um, and even in my other habits, right? Because once I started working on my gut health, it started improving my nutrition naturally. So could psychedelics be that catalyst for somebody? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you said at some point that your body feeds your brain, your brain feeds your soul, your soul feeds every aspect of your life. And mm -hmm. I think for many people that the, the psychedelic medicine is the, it helps them remember that they didn't always think in the same patterns that they're currently mm -hmm. thinking in. Mm -hmm. Um, it turns down that negative narrator. It gives, uh, and many times an incredible feeling of love and, uh, an interconnectedness. And, and helps people remember that they're not alone in the world um, and that they might be connected to, to something, a higher power, whatever that might mean for them. And, um, and then all of that is then leads to what we call the integration process, which is where they can work with somebody to help integrate these remembrances into their everyday life moving forward. And that can look like, and a lot of the things you talk about, how much do you sleep? What do you eat? How do you exercise? Um, are you aware of all of these different impacts on your life and, and how they can, uh, they can negatively impact your ability to lead a, a healthy, successful, happy life when any of those things are out of whack? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a really good point and I don't know if any, because of the stigma, I don't know if a lot of people would think of psychedelics in that way. So what would this look like? practically speaking for somebody, what would, what would they be starting with? Yep. So that's, so you talked about microdosing before I'm going to actually start with macro dosing, large okay. doses, and then we'll work our way down to small doses. Um, so there's a couple, there's kind of three paths for psychedelics, the way people come to them. One is the medical path. They say, Hey, I'm looking for something. And in, in America, the only legalized psychedelic is ketamine. It's legal in all 50 States. And maybe a doctor or a psychiatrist said, hmm, you might be a good candidate for this medicine. And, um, and then they start down that path. Hopefully in the next couple of years, MDMA will also be an option for people. And mm -hmm. hopefully within three years, psilocybin will be an option. Those have both mm -hmm. been given FDA breakthrough therapy designation, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. um, the phase three clinical trials for MDMA have just finished. This is really a cool statistic, Aaron. Um, they were working with people with treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. So imagine mm -hmm. uh, uh, veterans, first responders, victims of sexual assault. And these are people who are, again, treatment-resistant means nothing's worked. They've tried the different medications. They've tried the talk therapies. It hasn't worked. Three sessions with MDMA and the, and the talk therapy on both sides, 67% no longer qualify as having PTSD. What? 
Uh-huh. That's it's better a, than any drug out there. It's an incredible number. It's an incredible wow. number. And it, I mean, it gives me goosebumps even to say it, just to say it out loud. So that, again, within a couple of years, that really should be legal across the United States. Mm. Super exciting. Um, and then psilocybin, they've been doing a lot of studies with people with uh, terminal uh, illness and trying to help them relieve depression and anxiety. And again, the results are, are off the charts in terms of uh, what that can do. Um, so today, if some people approach it from the medical model, there's these different things happening to make it legal medically, all very exciting. Another path is kind of the spiritual model. People are saying, mm, I, I am looking for a relationship with a higher power. Therefore, I want to try a psychedelic to see if that helps. Or I have a relationship and I want to deepen that relationship and I want to use psychedelics to do that. Okay. And there, there's, I don't know, a couple hundred uh, entheogenic or psychedelic churches across the country. They're operating in a pretty gray zone in terms of uh, whether this is legal or not. Um, but they are, they are saying, this is our sincere religious belief. We are, this is a country that's founded on freedom of religion and we should be allowed to practice our sincere religious beliefs accordingly. So that's kind of a second path. And the third path is those are saying plants shouldn't be illegal. It's the decrim <laughs> nature movement. Mm-hmm. Um, plants shouldn't be illegal. We should be allowed to do it for whatever reason we want to do it. Um, it's none of your business what that is, and they just shouldn't be illegal. And that's uh, that's the decrim movement. All three paths, I think, are have... Uh, merit. All three paths are, are happening simultaneously in this country. We're seeing um, cities and states decriminalizing psychedelics, and we're seeing medicalization becoming legal, and we're seeing um, churches slowly get uh, recognized for the ability to practice. So all of that is the uh, is for macrodosing. It makes sense so far. Yeah, I, I'm really fascinated by um, the spiritual aspect of things. Like that's soup. I had not considered that. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because I know a lot of listeners are definitely spiritual, religious people, and they would love to know more about what that would even look like or what that means. Yeah, so I mean, it's super. When you look at the history of psychedelics, I mean, there there are cave drawings. I think six thousand years old of of people using um, mushrooms. They've been used in religious ceremonies for indigenous cultures, but really across the world, every mushrooms by themselves, just picking that one um, psychedelic grow in every continent, I think, except Antarctica. Um, we we know that the indigenous people of Central and South America used, used a lot of psychedelics in their ceremonies, but certainly Scandinavia, Europe, Africa, uh, Asia, all use psychedelics in religious ceremonies. Um, so there is a movement of people who say these aren't these are sacraments. Um, these are a way to remember that we do have a higher power, that we are connected, that there is that we are um, spiritual beings in human bodies. Is kind of the idea, and that the medicine can help people do this in a way that the other paths um, might not be as successful or might not be as consistently successful. So people, there's, there's a kind of a joke where you can meditate for a long 20 years, <laughs> still never see the top of the mountain, mm-hmm. but you take five grams of psilocybin and you're going to see that top of the mountain. And that then can help you aim your spiritual practice when you're not on the medicine um, for the rest of your life. And there are people who talk about one experience with a psychedelic being the most significant or top five most significant experiences of their lives. That's what Johns Hopkins University, when they study uh, the mystical experience with psychedelics, um, top five, top 10 consistently uh, life experiences for people. 
Um, yeah. And especially on the spiritual realm, it's, hmm. I, I get it. It makes a lot of sense to me and why people are saying, nope, I, I would like to practice this. Maybe it's not regularly, but once a, once a, once a year, once a quarter, once every couple of years, I can understand that. Yeah. So it really is now these experiences that people are having, because I do know one person in my life who swears that their depression was cured on having a psychedelic experience. And I think it was mushrooms. I'm not quite sure, you know, specifics, but, um, is that possible? It is possible. I, I'm very cautious of using the word cure versus catalyst. Um, mm -hmm. but, but there are people who say I took one dose of, in this case, uh, sounds like mushrooms or psilocybin. And that person feels like their depression was gone. And that's that I've certainly heard stories like that before. What, um, so let's, I mean, let's talk about what happens when people take a large dose of, of something like a psilocybin yeah. um, or a ketamine. I mean, you're talking about um, what's called your default mode network. So think of that inner narrator being quieted down for, so for just some period of time, no one's telling you that you're wrong or you're bad or you're not good mm -hmm. enough or all those messages that we get all the time. Um, that's quieted down. And for many people, they forgot what it sound, what it feels like to have that turned off. Hmm. Then all of a sudden we it increases uh, your neuroplasticity. So, so neurons start firing together that haven't fired together in a long time. So as, as we get older, we get into these ways of thinking, these thinking patterns. Um, so think of them as a, you're skiing down a mountain and you keep skiing down the exact same path. Okay. So we, in the, the older we get, the deeper those grooves get. Well, when you take that psychedelic, it puts a fresh coat of powder on the mountain and your brain can ski anywhere it wants to ski, just like it used to when you were younger. That is amazing for some people where it's like, oh, I forgot. Not everything is gray or this trauma isn't me. Mm. It was just something that I experienced. Um, that's incredibly free. And just that little bit of remembrance and, and a psilocybin journey is typically about six hours you come out of that, you remember, oh, I didn't always think this way. I don't want to think this way moving forward. Now I'm going to think this other way. Wow. Um, and that's again, incredible. Um, in some cases you then feel this connection to a higher power. And then that's this reminding so that you're not alone. And some, some medicines make you feel incredibly amounts, incredible amounts of love towards, towards yourself. Mm. And that for a lot of people is enough where it's like, okay, I do, I am loved. Um, and again, these experiences don't, uh, don't define me and I can beat love moving forward and off, off they go. So lots of things happen on these journeys. What I think is super important though, for people is if you don't have an integration process, if you don't have someone who after that mushroom experience can just help you remember, remind you, what did you learn? How are you, what do you, how are you incorporating that today? It can fade away like any other experience. So again, a best practice is to have a community of people or have an integration or someone you can talk to afterwards that can help you remember and can help you turn those insights into actions, much like you've done with your healthy habits for uh, maintaining a medicine-free life for you. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I was going to ask because it's like, this isn't something people are just doing like, Oh, let's do this thing. And it's kind of this willy nilly, whatever. Like there's an actual process to this. That's going to help someone reap the most brain benefits. Right. And so what would that even look like? 
Yeah, we talk about the three S's. So, so obviously there are people who do it willy-nilly and again, mm-hmm. I don't recommend it because these are powerful, powerful medicines. Very safe medicines, relatively speaking, but powerful. So we talk about source, set, and setting. So source is where did the medicine come from? So if you're working with a, inside the medical industry, I'm working with ketamine and a psychiatrist, you know the medicine came from its pharmaceutical grade and that's that's great. If you're working with an underground practitioner, where you're going to one of these retreats that are in these other countries, asking where does your medicine come from and do you have it tested is a reasonable question to ask um, so that you know that they have some process in place to make sure that the, that the source is safe. We then get into um, set, which is your mindset. So in advance of any psychedelic experience, the best practice is you first do a medical intake. So they, so some doctor or medical professional is checking to make sure you don't have any contraindications, that you don't have a large family history um, and, and a history of psychosis or mm. schizophrenia, or mm-hmm. that you're taking a medication that can counter, that can act uh, badly with the psychedelic. So someone's checking those things, assuming you pass all that. They're talking to you. Okay, you're going to be on a blank hour experience. And during it, you might feel this, feel that. If you feel scared, this is what you do. They're giving you a lot of information in advance. So you're not surprised on the day of the experience. Um, and, and then they're also helping you set your intention. This medicine is really effective when people say, um, show me the source of my trauma or show me the what um, what's not serving me well in my life. You pick some intention that's important mm-hmm. to you and you put that in advance and you write it down. And then when you're taking the medicine, that's somewhere in your psyche. And hopefully the medicine can, uh, can show you an answer to that. And then the last piece is setting. It's super important that, again, you're in, a, you're in a, what's called a non-ordinary state of consciousness. So you're very vulnerable when you're on this medicine. So you want to make sure at the place you're doing this, you're around people that love you. You know that there's not going to be any improper contact or anyone telling you anything that, that uh, is improper, that you're not going to jar, have jarring music or, um, or loud noises or things that you're not expecting during the state. Um, so making sure you're you're not going to be interrupted by your kids. If something <laughs> is to happen, there's someone there who is sober who can handle whatever it is that that happens. Um, the setting is also important. So that's a source set and setting. And then afterwards, we get into this thing called integration, which is what we talked about: someone to help unpack whatever came up for you during the experience. But this is typically no, not a willy nilly thing. It's you can right. put a lot of thought into this, and and these are expensive. No matter how you do it, it's expensive. Mm. Um, these days, um, unless you go and you find your own mushrooms or source and do it yourself. <laughs> but that is again, not what we're talking about on, on this show. I hate to interrupt today's episode, but I have an important question for the listeners. What are you making for dinner tonight? Contrary to popular belief, healthy eating does not have to be complicated or boring. Children and adults can learn that food is fun, delicious, and makes us feel better even when it's not pizza. I know we all kind of like pizza too. But if you are looking for the ultimate resource to help your family eat healthier, nutrient-dense foods to fire up those neurotransmitters to improve brain health, to improve energy function, then look no further. My friend, pediatrician, Dr. Alina Oltiano and I have come up with a recipe book just for you. It's called Brain Food for the Whole Family and it is available now on Amazon. Get that recipe book and I guarantee it's going to give you some practical tips and tools that you and your kids will enjoy. It's filled with really colorful pictures and descriptions of what our bodies need to function best and my kids love it. 
I ran it by them first and they love it. They love learning about how foods make them feel. I will drop the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Yeah. And I think that's important for people to hear because I think, again, we just have that image of Woodstock, right? And everybody's all like tripping and like, it's just a different, it's a different look at things than what you are saying. And you're saying a controlled environment and using this medicinally. And this isn't just like, Hey, let's hang out and see what happens. This is very specific in the setting and all of it. Yes. And it can be in and, and the world that, that I'm talking about. It can also be specific just for spirituality. I am just doing yeah. this. There's nothing wrong with me. Okay. That's great. I just want to connect. No problem. Yeah. Um, so you meet people where they are, but uh, having an intention and then doing this safely is what I'm talking about. Um, these medicines, again, are they much safer than things like alcohol and tobacco? Absolutely. Hmm. But these are strong medicines and, uh, and doing them safely is, is, is certainly a, an advisable thing to do. So you're saying at the brain level, going back to that, because, you know, I want sure. to talk about the brain stuff. <laughs> it, this is tr- really training the brain to reprocess information to, I mean, you're talking about the neuroplasticity and the grooves. I mean, th- this is something has this, is this what they're studying right now? And, and all the studies they're doing, I mean, I'm, that's fascinating to me. It's absolutely. Um, again, ketamine again, legal in all 50 States. We know it grows neurons. We know it increases neuro, uh, neuroplasticity. We know it, uh, it, it, it's incredibly powerful for depression and anxiety. There are over 300 academic institutions right now studying psychedelics or with a psychedelic center. I mean, you look hmm. in anywhere from Johns Hopkins to um, Yale, University of uh, San Francisco, California, San Francisco. Here, I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. To my left is University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill, $27 million grant from DARPA to study psychedelics. Wow. And then down the road, the other direction is Duke, also studying psychedelics. So everywhere um, we look, there are different studies happening right now about how these medicines work how they can be positive uh, on the brain and then how they can lead to positive lifestyle change in a number of things, everything from uh, smoking cessation, uh, alcohol use, um, uh, heroin use to uh, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, um, OCD. There's a group studying autism right now, Hmm. um, which is super fascinating. So it's, yeah, a lot of work being done on this. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned something earlier on about just it helps people to not feel so alone. And I think that people who are struggling with, especially when we're talking about like treatment resistant depression and they've tried everything and nothing is working that makes you go from already feeling alone to feeling extra alone, because now it's like, well, I really am helpless and hopeless. Right. And so this is, is, is a new, it's, it's a new world for people who have treatment resistant depression. Can you, can you talk about that? Because I know we're in an epidemic of all sorts of mental health issues and, and a lot of the things that we thought were working just aren't working so great. So where they come with a super high price tag, people don't, aren't told when they start antidepressants that, uh, I mean, it's upwards of 72%, at least one study says have sexual dysfunction with antidepressants. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. a big number. Then we get into gastrointestinal issues. We get into fatigue, we get into weight gain. Um, the, the side effects are, it's a pretty expensive medicine. Uh, it might not cost you a lot because insurance pays for it, but these are quality of living in, uh, price tag is, is very yeah. high. 
Um, None of those side effects happen with psychedelics. Um, And with what's interesting with depression and ketamine, sorry, depression, anxiety, ketamine is not the first thing that doctors go to. They go to the antidepressants. But it'd be interesting to see a world where maybe you don't, maybe you need your six doses to start with ketamine and you only need them once every couple of months after that, or maybe you don't need them at all. Um, Mm. It's just, it, it takes more care though than the set it, forget it medical model that we have now. Oh, I'm going to give you your prescription and check in with me periodically, but I'm really not. I'm just, just upping or messing around with your dosage. So it's, it's, it's a different model. It's a more expensive model. Um, so treatment resistant depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. Um, I think one of the cool things about psychedelics for both these things is it allows you to look at your life without shame, blame, or guilt. Um, so for, I'll use a personal example for me. I had a, uh, some inappropriate, um, sexual contact with a family member 10 years older than me when I was an early teen. And I've always felt, um, tremendous amounts of embarrassment and shame and guilt around this. And in, in a psychedelic journey, I was right back in that situation, which mm. is terrifying. Oh my gosh. Um, and in the journey though, I was able to remove and shame, blame, and guilt, and look at this person and say, okay, I see a person, I don't have to forgive or condone what happened, but I could understand this was a person who was not feeling any love, was struggling with her own alcohol and uh, substance use challenges, was confused on a number of things, and just was looking for some some love and affection. Um, and while I, again, don't have to forgive or condone, I can understand and that human level of understanding um, freed me from this thing I'd carried for 30 some years. Wow. And, uh, and now I can talk about it. I don't get embarrassed. My ears don't turn red. I don't mm-hmm. have that pit in my stomach. All those things that happen with, with things that are, that, that you're, that are not resolved. Um, and I've seen people resolve incredibly um, challenging traumas using these medicines where they've said, okay, I don't, this isn't mine to carry anymore. Um, or it's, it's not serving me to carry this and I can forgive it or I can, um, I can process it in a way that I couldn't before. So it's against remarkable medicine at a, at a chemical level, but it's really a, it's biochemical, psycho, social, spiritual. It works in all of these different areas of your life. Wow. So is that common for people who have trauma that it, it takes them back to the scene of the trauma to revisit it? Can. It, it absolutely okay. can. Um, and we definitely warn people that, okay, if you, this, you're coming in this and it, it, you might be back there. Um, mm. But we also tell people who don't have a trauma or, or don't say they have a trauma because that's more often than not what happens. Yeah, people are like, true. oh, I'm fine. That's what mm-hmm. I thought. I, I never... I didn't talk about this so much that it didn't even occur to me to tell anybody in advance that I had this thing happen. This was in a drawer mm-hmm. tucked deep. Mm-hmm. So we tell everybody, if something comes out at you that you don't like, we, we use the analogy of a dragon. You see the dragon, you're scared of the dragon or the spider or the snake, pick your thing. Um, don't run away from it. This is just in your mind. This is just in your journey. Go up to and ask you, what are you here to teach me? Wow. Go into it, not away from it. Um, when you try to run, it's it can get scary. So stay with it. Um, so if they've told us about the trauma, then that's great. If they haven't told somebody about the trauma, they've at least been informed that, uh, if something they don't like happens, stick with it and, um, and see where it goes. 
Yeah, that's definitely an important consideration because you're right. There are a lot of people that happen. I'm that happened for me too. I had some things tucked way far deep down the way we do because that's how we survive, right? That's how we survive. And yep. then for me, some things popped up. I'm like, oh dang, I need to evaluate this. And I went into um you're familiar with a trauma therapy called EMDR. It's eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, all of that. Um, but it sounds so it sounds like this is similar to EMDR and and what it's doing at the brain level then. Yeah, it can absolutely do. EMDR is a, is 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 a very effective technique um, as well, um, and and I guess that's that's the beauty of this, and that's what I hope mm-hmm. your listeners are understanding. I'm not saying you have anyone has to do psychedelics, or psychedelics are any for anyone the only way to get from point A to point B. I'm just saying it should be in the toolbox of choices that people have. Mm-hmm. Psychedelics are a good option for some of them. Mm-hmm. So who shouldn't do them? Who is this, a, you know, a potential danger for? Is there a category of people that it's like, eh, nope, don't, don't do that. Yeah. I mean, if you have a first degree relative that has had schizophrenia, there's not a lot of research on it. And that's, okay. um, that can be, that can be dangerous, especially if you're younger. Um, same with uh, some types of bipolar, not, not but there's plenty of people who do who with bipolar disorders who who are uh, and I even I'm sorry I don't even like using the word disorder by bipolar diagnoses mm-hmm. don't love that either um, <laughs> who uh, who use psychedelics but just not in the manic modes um, mm-hmm. there are um, there are different medications that can be contraindicated so there's so certain psychedelics um, really respond badly to MAOIs oh, um, where there's some where if you're on an SSRI it, like a uh, MDMA, as an example, might not be a good a good fit um, for mm-hmm. some people in SSRI. Psilocybin doesn't work, but for a lot of people, it does. So there's just um, things to be aware of for medical history. There is there are a couple people out there. The one that I refer a lot of people to is the Spirit Pharmacist, Dr. Ben Malcolm. Fantastic. He's a PharmD, specializes in a psychedelic medicine, and he does consultations all over the country where people can say bring them to his their medical history and their um, psychological history and he'll look at it and, and talk with them for, for an hour and say, okay, you might want to do like this type of medicine would be psychedelic medicine would be safe. This one would be questionable. This one, you would have to make these changes before you, you, um, you choose to do this. He's also, he works with a ton of people who are trying to get off of taper down from, uh, antidepressants and he doesn't oh, wow. actually do the day-to-day work, but he gives them a plan that they can take back to their psychiatrist or doctor and then follow that plan to get off of medication. So it's a, I think it's the spiritpharmacist.com or spiritpharmacist.com, um, Dr. Ben Malcolm. Wow. So this can help with tapering, which is, that's another silent epidemic happening right now is we got lots of people on meds that they cannot get off of. So that's interesting. Super interesting. And, and that's where, I mean, ketamine has been, it's pretty incredible. So for it's legal which for a lot of people who are not willing to do something illegal or don't want to travel overseas, mm-hmm. okay, here's something they can do in all 50 states. And you can do ketamine because it works with your glutamate system instead of your serotonin. So you can do ketamine while on an antidepressant and people can taper down using the, and taper up um, with or basically use ketamine and, and taper down on the, and the antidepressant at the same time to, uh, to get through that period. So it's super interesting way mm. to do it. Yeah. You've also brought up in the beginning of this microdosing. I don't want to lose track of that because that ties into this discussion. So some Mm -hmm. people might say, I don't want to do a big macrodose. I am not willing to go into a non-ordinary state of uh, consciousness for six hours, seven hours. (laughs) Okay. Um, Ketamine, their, their journeys are about an hour. 
uh, 40-ish minutes if you're doing it in IV and maybe an hour if you do it oral. So that gives you a macrodose. Microdosing is when you take a sub-perceptual amount of a medicine. Typically, you're microdosing either mushrooms or LSD, and you're talking about one-tenth to one-twentieth of a dose. So sub-perceptual or sub-intoxicating might be the phrase you've heard. Um, so you can go about your day. Um, you can do also like just everything you would normally do. You've just taken a little bit of the psychedelic in the morning. Um, some people say that when they're tapering down or when they are, um, going off a of medication, they are switching for this all natural, um, option, no side effects. And, um, and then they can do all, all the things they normally do. Just, uh, create the, the, this research says that for some people, creativity, connectedness, um, mm -hmm. The uh, the blues are bluer, the grays are less gray. Mm -hmm. um, type of impacts can can work, but but the research is, is split on this. There are some that says it's, this works. There's others that says it's placebo. Um, yeah, I don't I don't I don't have an opinion on which is right. Just each person is their own, but it does seem to work for quite a lot of people. And that's again sub perceptual, and again illegal in America. So you're going to an underground market, mm -hmm. so figuring out where <laughs> you're getting your mushrooms from. Um, yeah, it's 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 uh it's it's challenging here in our country. Yeah, for sure. Well, and then you mentioned placebo effect, and I think it's always important for people to understand the the recent research on antidepressants SSRIs is that they're really only about fifteen percent effective when you take away the placebo effect. So anything we do, any of the vegetables I eat, any of the probiotics I take, there's a placebo effect there, right? Because like my brain is telling my body, this is good. We like this. We're doing nice things for ourselves. But or now it sounds like I have DID <laughs> talking about myself and multiple. <laughs> Anyway, point being, um, I was wondering about the nocebo effect. Is that possible? Because if somebody's going into this going, oh, I'm not really sure about this. What if this causes a horrible thing to happen? Are there people that have a bad experience, maybe because they're afraid going in and they, they haven't been set up to succeed because of their environment? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think there's, there's, there are people who I talk to all the time. It's like, oh, I'll never do psychedelics because I did it once in college and it was awful. And uh, and then when I probe a little bit, well, where were you? I was at a party. Okay. And did <laughs> right. you know what you're doing? No. Do you know how much you took? No. Did what happened? Well, I was around all these people I didn't know. I had loud music. I was scared. I ended up being in a corner. Yeah, it can be an awful, it could be a very, very challenging experience. Even when you know what you're doing, it can be challenging. The difference is this. And again, Johns Hopkins has great research on this. People can have challenging psilocybin experiences where they were scared, they were um, uh, emotionally releasing. Um, it can be a hard experience. And they will still put it in one of their top five or 10 experiences if wow. you do it with intention and you do it in, in the way that we were talking about earlier. When you do it in an environment that you have no control over, it can just be awful period and, and really, really unsafe. Um, one other thing I'm going to touch on just, just cause we talked about ketamine a little bit. Most psychedelics are not addictive. Ketamine has some addictive potential. So the reason I, I bring this up is you're hearing on this talk on this podcast that ketamine can be great for you. Fantastic. That is true. That doesn't mean if someone offers it to you, uh, at a party or at somewhere else that it's safe to do in that setting. Um, it can spin out of control if you're not watching your dosage and your frequency. Um, and typically in the, in the recreational setting, people are snorting it or uh, inhaling it through a, through a nasal spray, and it can just become something that people become dependent on. Mm. Um, 
mushrooms, really not addictive. Uh, LSD, really not addictive, but ketamine, yeah, it can be. So be just be aware of that. It's uh, again in our, in our medical environment setting, very low risk, but uh, but something for people to be aware of. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is that is important. Now, where would somebody, if somebody's interested in a psychedelic retreat, what would they, how would they find something like that? Yep. So in, in America, there are ketamine retreats. So you can look that up online, ketamine retreat. Um, there are lots of international options for psychedelic retreats. So the Netherlands, the Bahamas, Jamaica, Costa Rica, Peru, Colombia, Mexico, um, lots of them have psychedelic retreats. And again, if you type them retreat guru, Mm -hmm. um, lists them as plant medicine retreats. So you can find them that way. Um, and then there are a number of underground retreats that happen in America. And I think mm -hmm. the best way to find those are, are looking in your area for psychedelic societies or meetups or picking an area that has, if you're in a very rural area, maybe I'll use a Texas example, yeah. look at Austin versus Dallas, um, or versus San Antonio. <laughs> Um, you, you'd probably find a, a, a psychedelic meetup group and then get involved in the community and ask around would be the, probably the best way to, uh, to find one here in the States and then do your homework, ask those questions. We talked about how many people is a great question to ask, regardless of whether it's medical or, or international or underground, um, some retreats, I'll just give you a quick example. There's, there's a very popular ayahuasca retreat in, uh, South America, mm -hmm. Central America, excuse me, that, uh, they do retreats with 80 to hundred people. That's a lot. Wow. Um, there's a high end entrepreneur one that does 40. Um, but they do it in a way where they have enough facilitators and it's, uh, it's done really well. And they could explain all that to you if that's what you're looking for. There are other retreats that are typically in the, the 10 to 20 range, which is, um, yeah, I think it's a very manageable size for most retreat organizers, but you should know what you're getting into. So asking that question, is there any medical staff or what happens if there's an emergency? That's a fair question to ask anybody. Um, and then in addition to where's the medicine, what are the ground rules? What are the, uh, what's the, what's the process? Um, what's the preparation? What's the integration? Many of the ketamine, again, legal in all 50 States. Um, some of these medical providers just believe it's biochemical. So they're just going to hook you up to an IV and give you the ketamine. Okay. That's fine. If you know that, and you have your own person to work with in advance and work with afterwards. Um, or it's fine if you don't believe you need any of that other stuff, but you should at least know and ask the question, what am I getting into and how long is this ex total experience? Not just the medicine, the whole thing. What am I buying from whoever the provider is you're talking to? Yeah. And what you're talking about is informed consent. Like that, that's what you're offering here. This, which is I think important for any treatment, anything that we do for our health is we need to have that informed consent. And that's what this is. You're, you're, um, sharing a lot of good information that, um, I think is going to be super helpful for a lot of people. And I love your approach to this. So tell me, I have one last question. It's my favorite sure. question to ask. And, um, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice that sparks someone toward wholeness, what would it be? I think what was, I'll tell you what's been shocking for me um, in this journey is when I first took my very first psychedelic, um, I felt this overwhelming sense of love and that was beautiful. But the, almost the next moment I realized, oh my God, I don't live my life feeling loved. I'm married. I have kids. I have a successful life. 
but I don't feel love every day. And that was the catalyst or the spark towards how do I have more love in my life and that I am worthy of love and that I'm, and that I'm not, I don't have to be stingy with my love. Um, I can give it away freely. There's plenty of it. Um, and I can receive it freely, but it all started with that. Oh, I forgot what it feels like to be loved. So mm -hmm. my, uh, recommendation is people are looking for wholeness is that you are loved. It's out there. Um, can you find that? And then can you give that? Um, and my, my hope is that they can. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's, that's great. I feel that on a personal level, actually, that's good timing for me. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Um, now tell me where can people learn more about what you're doing? You're doing a lot of things, or maybe if they want to check out your book or any of that. Thanks for that. My, um, the book is psychedelics for everyone. And it's available everywhere books are sold. There's also a audible version of the book for those who don't want to uh, to read the paper version. Um, MattZeman.com is my website, and you can find information on my speaking and um, and in the book there. I've got a bunch of videos and introductions to various psychedelics there as well. And then I'm all over uh, LinkedIn and Instagram, and anyone who has any questions, I'm I'm available. I'm here to I'm here to serve, and I'm here to answer. Um, and I really don't have anything that I'm selling other than a book, and there's no money in that. I'm just doing that to get the information <laughs> out there. So uh, if you have a question, if I can help, please reach out, and I'll do my best to uh, to answer it and to point you in the right direction. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is such an informative interview, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Aaron, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.